guys will attest because like learning to do a funeral or a wedding, the special things that aren't just the regular preaching of the word, when you're suddenly given this opportunity, I've always found liberty preaching on Mother's Day because in the church there are so many godly women that if even if we stripped away all the godly men among us, we would still have a healthy fellowship. Right? We would have men, we would have women that know how to get a hold of God. They're witnesses to their family, to their children. Uh, they are witnesses in their community. They're witnesses at their jobs. They are the Proverbs 31 women. They are, the Proverbs writer said, thou excellest them all. And so it, it makes it easy on this particular day. Now, this particular message today, as you stand up to pray with me one time, I'm not going to read the text because I'm altering things a little bit. But I have, I've, I, I, when I say I went into my pastoral archives, not through, my, through setting down and looking up sermons that I'd preached, but in my heart, before I went to the pastoral archives, I had this, this thought, it reminded me of a message that I had preached many years ago at Shirley, like the third year that I was pastoring, perhaps even the second year that I was pastoring. And I preached a message that I entitled, The Model Mother and the Makeup Mom. And, and that got in my spirit, and so I searched through all my files and everything, and I found the notes to that message. And, and man, I have been going over this in my spirit all week, just reading it, getting reacquainted with it. And, and, and man, I'll tell you what, as Pastor Burton used to tell us young preachers, he said, it's got to burn in you before it will burn in anybody else. And this message, though it's to the ladies of our fellowship, it burns in my heart brightly today, and I'm privileged to share it with you. If I can say one thing as a precursor, it's already been said, and I want, to re, I want to echo it just very quickly. It's Mother's Day, and sometimes there are ladies who are mothers who are not mothers who often get left out. That is never our intention, right? And we honor all the women of our fellowship, from the smallest of babies all the way up. Come on. Adam said, whoa, man. Come on, that's what, when he saw Eve... He said, whoa, man, come on, somebody. All he had seen is a bunch of animals around the garden, and all of a sudden, one day, he looks up. Come on, so we honor the beautiful ladies. Now, typically, I preach towards womanhood rather than motherhood as a re- because of the fact that I've just tried to broaden it. But this message is a little more narrower. It's a little bit more narrow. So, ladies, but I want you, even if you have never been a mother, Uh, I'm telling you, it doesn't mean that this message doesn't have application. Because you may have never carried a child in your womb, but I'm telling you, you still have affected others for the kingdom and the glory of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. So we bless you and we honor you. So would y'all pray? Would y'all welcome? And Father in heaven, we love you and we ask that you would allow preaching to come easy in this house today. And I pray that with great sincerity. Father, I know that Jesus said that the flesh profiteth nothing. And that means that, as Paul said, in me there is no good thing. The only thing of merit and value that will speak to a lady's heart today is, the Father, the Word of God. That Word written on the tablet of their heart can alter them. Father, though of a different gender, they can still yet be like Jacob. They can limp from this day forward, leaning upon a staff, having an encounter with you that leaves them marked eternally. So, God, I pray today for the Word of God. I pray for the receptive heart And I pray for, Father, certainly all the ladies today, especially for their hearts to be ready to receive your word. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen.
Now, as you do so, I want, I want to, as you're seated, allow me to take just a moment. There's so many scriptures that I could go to pastorally to speak to you about, about women and motherhood and those in in that context that, you know, I have to be very selective lest I over-preach this message. But I was thinking for just a moment of time about just the uniqueness of our sometimes things that happen culturally that sometimes are both, um, you know, applicable to both genders, but sometimes it's targeting, you know, a, a female or a male. Let me give you an example, some cultural things. Now, let's just go ahead and let's just be honest today. Let's just be honest today. HGTV has come along at a cost for us men folk. Let's just be honest. I don't care. Because I can't tell you the times that I have come home and Chip and Joanna Gaines has got me searching for shiplap. Come on now. They're making the money off of us. And it's costing us men folk money and time and effort. So we know that though that's applicable to both men and women, I understand all that, but they're targeting. You know, and then, now I, and, and I could say this, you know, uh, ESPN, lots of ladies watch ESPN. But they target men, so we know that. What about this channel called the Hallmark Channel? What are we going to do with that thing? Man. Alive. Where in the world did that thing come from? I have come home to Sherry crying in the mid-afternoon. I want to know what in the world is going on up in here. We've got joy in our house. So, and then I know there are other channels that, and shows that target specifically ladies. So I'm going to target you as well. If the television was in front of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but could you navigate pretty quickly to HGTV? Or could you navigate pretty quickly to the shopping network? Probably. Or could you navigate to the Hallmark Channel pretty quickly? Then, but can you? Lady, I, I love you enough to challenge you. That's just the way I am. Can you navigate in the Word of God to passages of Scripture that are written directly to you? Directly to you as a mother, directly to you as a woman. Directly to something that, that, that there's no mistaking it, God is speaking this to you. It's going to help you if you are married, it's going to affect you. If you are a mother of children and grandmother of children, it's going to affect you. If you're a mother in the church, so to speak, a mother to little ones and other young ladies, you know, Titus said that the older women, the older women are to teach the younger women. So if you, even if you did not carry a child in your womb, I'm speaking the truth of the Word of God when I say that you still are raising up children, right? And when you receive that responsibility, I want to challenge, I'm going to, as a lead-in to my message, I'm omitting the passages that I recorded 20 years ago, and I'm going to go even to one of the hardest texts in all of Scripture as it relates to the role of a woman in both the church and in the family. 
And many of you probably haven't even, you're not necessarily familiar enough with it. And so I'm going to tell you, the error lies with you because you need to, even a hard passage, you've got to work this thing out. You've got to study because I want you to be confident in who you are. I want you to be confident in saying, you know what, I'm fulfilling what God expects of me. That passage of Scripture is, if I had a drum roll, it would actually be 1 Timothy chapter number 2. In 1 Timothy chapter number 2, the Apostle Paul, in the 8th verse, he actually first just speaks to men. He says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere with holy hands lifted high. Men would be praying and seeking the heart of God. That's the exhortation that the Apostle, does that mean women are not to pray? Of course they're to pray. But Paul's speaking directly to women. Now here is one of the most controversial passages in all the New Testament as it relates to the role of women in the church. And why am I even going there? Well, because there's a few, despite the controversy, sometimes when there's a controversy, we will omit the whole context. We will just kind of bypass it and say, well, that was cultural. Let me just say this today. You know Pastor Brown preaches, and I use the term uh, occasionally liberalism. I use the term liberalism in the context of biblically more than I do politically. Because liberalism crept in long before in, in the scriptures and in the church, long before it ever made it into the political arena. And what I'm defining by that is, is liberalism that strips away the heart of the word of God and does not allow us to make an accurate assessment and application of God's word. And so just because there's controversy maybe related to the culture, some have even questioned Paul's heart, whether Paul was, we even called him a sexist. But, let's, but despite all that, how many know there's truth in the Word of God? And Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak to ladies. And so then he's told men pray everywhere. Ninth verse, King James English. Why would I choose King James English here? Well, there's a verse that I just wanted the ladies to see for a moment. In like manner, women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety uh, without shamefacedness and sobriety, and not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly array. Does that mean, ladies, that you can't get fixed up? I don't think that's what it means. The reason why I brought it up is, but you ought to study it out. You ought to study it out so that you could answer it confidently, that you could know its application. It does teach modesty, right? It's not necessarily up to all the men to dictate what's modest and what's immodest. But it ought to be a heart that's pliable and moldable before God. Come on. A woman's heart ought to be molded before God and say, God, I'm going to take this scripture to heart. And I'm going to adapt my lifestyle. How many of you know that's a positive thing? Right? So let's go verse. And that's the 10th verse. Controversial. I know it is. I'm not preaching about it. But it's helping set the stage. The 10th verse, though. I love this 10th verse. And this gets down in my spirit. But which women, which becometh women, what's it say? Professing godliness. Women, look at those words, women that profess godliness with good works. Listen, if you're professing godliness, if your life and your lifestyle is speaking of the sincerity of your faith, then it's going to be demonstrated by lifestyle changes and lifestyle choices and what you do and the influence that you make. And let me tell you, lady, you can make just as much, you can make just as much an effect of the kingdom of God as any man that's ever been born other than Christ Jesus. You can. You profess godliness. You live a godly life. You walk a sanctified and a holy life. I'm telling you, the anointing of God can fall on your life, lady. 
Come on, ma'am, mom, sister, come on, whoever you are, the Spirit of God, the promise of God's blessing is to you equally as much as it is to us pastors. It is, but you've got to set your heart to say, I'm going to become a woman that's not just professing godliness, but I'm going to walk in a godly spirit, and I'm going to display a godly character in all that I do. And then that passage goes on farther. We probably won't read it all, but it even speaks about women learning silence. And you go, what does that mean? Well, if you don't know what it means, then you need to study it out. Does that mean that you can't have a voice? No, it doesn't mean that you have a voice. And Paul's just setting a, a reverential moment in the, first the church and then in the family. There's order. There's a process. So the reason why I brought it up, it concludes there with a powerful word real quickly. In the 14th verse, it says that Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived, and so she was in the transgression. And that almost conflicts a little bit with what Paul said in Romans 5, because if, but you have to weigh it out in the proper balance. In Romans 5, Paul said, by one man sin entered the world. Right? And so Adam was responsible. But here Paul addresses the fact that Eve was in transgression as well because she was deceived. But then here's a powerful verse of Scripture that if you just read it in one of these translations like I do, the King James, you'll miss the heart of it. But look what he said in the 15th verse. He said, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. What does that mean? You mean I have to have a child to be saved? No, he's speaking about womanhood here. You remember the promise that was made in the Genesis when God spoke to Eve? He said, Eve, there's going to be trouble and travail with you because of your sin. But of your seed is one coming out of you. There's coming one of the seed of a woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so that woman happened to be Mary, who represented womanhood to fulfill the prophetic promise made in the book of Genesis that out of her seed would come one that would destroy the head of the serpent. And that was Jesus, come on, who is called the Christ. And so woman, the, the woman Eve did fall prey to deception, but because of faithfulness, Mary received the seed of God in her spirit, into her heart, and into her womb, and brought forth the child, Jesus, who would crush Satan, produce salvation for all mankind. Come on, amen. And then he does challenge the ladies, and he says, continue in faith and love and holiness with sobriety which means self-control. Those are powerful verses of Scripture. Controversial, if you take it even farther, we shouldn't run from controversial passages of Scripture. Ladies, you should set your heart to study the Word of God so that you could confidently answer, and you could be a woman that professes godliness with good works, testifying to the grace of God. I want to go a little bit farther today. Abraham Lincoln said these words, no, one, no man is poor that's had a godly mother. Come on. No man is poor that's had a godly mother. Unfortunately, sometimes men and women are in the church and they didn't receive of a godly mother. Now, I challenge men and women, when that, or ladies, when that happens, I say, listen, make sure that you become that godly mother. You can still find a way. You set your heart close to the heart of Christ and you can learn how to be who God's called you to be. I could take you throughout the numerous records of the Word of God that were, were what we would call godly mothers. Are mentioned Mary the Bible says all generations would call her blessed the scripture speaks about Elizabeth the Bible calls her righteous before God and you know that in her age condition she received a seed and she bore a child that child was the prophet John we understand that Sarah was past the flower of her her age but she conceived and brought forth a promised child I love this lady she doesn't get enough honor uh, in the church just her name just sets a tone for me Jochebed. 
Why did somebody not name their child Jacobed? Come on. Could you just hear your child, your little girl going to school, and they would say, well, what's your name? And it would be, you know, like my children, they're all in the top 100, Ashley, Alyssa, and Amber. Top 100 names all begin with an A. But then Jacobed steps forward. What do you do with that? Yeah, you need an organ behind you. Could you see that kindergarten teacher when she, her, she, she broke out and, and pulled an organ? My name is Jacobed, right? I feel Jesus right there. Right, just that name, Jochebed. You know what? But what about Jochebed? The Bible says she saw something in her child when other mothers willingly gave their children over to the uh, Egyptian soldiers to cast them into the Nile River. The uh, Jochebed saw something in the eye of her little boy that she said, "You know what? This child is raised up. Is going to be raised up uh, for the deliverance of the nation." And so she deserves certainly all the honor and esteem that we can give her. But time would fail us to talk of many godly women recorded in Scripture who have affected destiny by bearing in their womb and nurturing upon their breasts children that were chosen by God to shape the world. But today, the model mother to me comes to us in 1 Samuel chapter number 1, and her name is Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter number 1, and I love the account of Hannah. I'm telling you, I could take gender out of it when I read this passage because Hannah was a woman of faith. And I want to go back and retrace her steps for just a moment if we can in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. And I'm going to glean through some of this. And it's an entire chapter, 28 verses. And I may read it all. And if I do, I will not apologize for it. But it will go quickly. But I want you to familiarize, lady, with this story, man, with this story. Because this should be... Um, Someone that you seek to emulate in your life. That when you're praying and say, God, do something in my heart and life. You should be able to pray and say, God, do something in my heart the way you did Hannah. And with the character and faith that she possessed. The Bible tells us in the first verse that there was a certain man of Shatakaya Mosia. <laughs> I don't know. If you can pronounce that name, then you've been studying the Bible a lot longer than I have. And so, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. So, there's this brother named Elkanah, and, and the, he's the son of Jerom, and the son of Elihu, and he's the son of Tuhu, and he's the son of Zuf. He was an Evrai, high tight. Wow. And he had two wives, though, and I do not recommend that. You think HGTV's costing you now, man. You wait. So, I do not recommend that. That's true to the culture, but not true to the Scripture. In the beginning was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Joyce and, come on, and Jochebed, and just Adam and Eve. So you, got, you get the picture. But for the culture, for the culture, the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, and Hannah had no children. And so that was a plight in that culture, that if you were, had a barren womb, that was a plight, and you were looked upon. Uh, as, as if something was wrong, not with the man, but with the woman. Something had to be wrong. Perhaps it was the curse of God, many considered. And so, and as a result, when in this situation with multiple wives in the household, uh, it created an adversary. It made an adversary out of Penaniah. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice. And the Lord of hosts, to the, who was in Shiloh, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penaniah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. And so he brought of his resources and gave to his wife and to his children through Penaniah that they might offer there at the tabernacle that was erected at Shiloh. 
But notice the fifth verse. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, or what we would call a double portion, because he loved Hannah. But the Lord, the writer says, had shut up her womb. Her womb was shut up. And so as a result, her adversary provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And so every year, and this is one of the reasons why we try to honor womanhood versus motherhood because some ladies don't want to come to church on Mother's Day lest they feel reproach. And that's not our goal today, men. We've created the right context because, come on, somebody, mama, you're a mother. Even if you didn't raise, that's the third time I've said it, but even if you didn't have a child in your womb, you're still a mother. You're a mother in the kingdom of God, and we're so grateful. And so, but in this situation, it caused Hannah to fret, and she had to go year by year. And, and so, therefore, as she was provoked, depending on now, look at the seventh verse. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of skimming over this. She provoked her. And so, Hannah just reached a place of exasperation. And see, one of the things they did when they went up to the house of God, they celebrated part of their sacrifice. They were allowed to eat themselves. And so, they worshiped, and they sacrificed, and it was very festive. But Hannah just, her heart was, she just couldn't eat. She was so saddened and so disheartened by that continual provocation by Penaniah that she just couldn't, she just couldn't eat. And so Elkanah was trying to, con, you know, to console her. And he said, you know, why are you weeping, Hannah? And so how I many you know, ladies, men don't always say the right thing. Even at the most difficult of times, sometimes men will say the wrong thing, even if they have a pure motive. And I believe Elkanah had a pure motive, but he said the right thing. He said, look, ain't I better? He said, am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean, you know, that would cause her to run over and cry in the corner, it, it, just to be honest. And so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh. And look at this. And after they had drunk, they ate, they drank. But Eli the priest was seated, by, uh, was seated by, on a post by the temple of the Lord. And here's Hannah. Here's how Hannah came to church. I'm telling you, like, there's something powerful. You may have come into church today, and this is the, your condition. She was in bitterness of soul. I'm telling you, when you're in bitterness of soul, there's no greater place than to find God in prayer. When you're going through the travails and the sorrows and the ups and the downs of life, I'm telling you, then get alone with God. Come on, go press in. Press through the pain. Press through the sorrow. Press through the emotional trauma that you feel at that time. And say, I know of the one who can heal my soul. Come on, our God can heal that Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so she's praying to God. And she's vowed a vow in her heart. Notice this. And she said, God, if you'll look upon the affliction of your handmaid, if you'll look and if you'll give me a child, a man child, she particularly asked a man child. Notice what she said. She said, I will give him to the Lord. I will lend him to the Lord all the days of his life. And she said, and a razor, the Nazarite vow, means he would be set apart for ministry. He would be consecrated for ministry at the tabernacle in Shiloh all the days of his life. But no razor coming upon his head. And so it came to pass as she's praying, she's crying out to God. Notice how she's praying. Eli, the priest, is watching her. And he marks her mouth. Because Hannah, <laughs> this is so powerful. Her lips are moving. But her voice is not heard. I'm telling you, ma'am, God sees and God hears where no man can see or hear. And the 14th verse, Eli says to her, Eli thinks that she's drunken. He thinks that she's drunken and she's come to the house of God drunk. 
And he said, how long will you be drunk and put away? But now Hannah speaks up and defends herself in the 15th verse. And she says, no, Lord. No, Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drunk as you think. She said, but I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. She said, I'm not drunk wine nor strong drink. But look at this latter portion of the 15th verse. But I poured out my soul before the Lord. I just emptied it out. I laid it all out. I didn't bring anything. I'm not taking anything back home. I'm just going to empty it out before God. Don't count me a handmaid as a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and out of the abundance of my grief, I've spoken to God. I've cried out in my, tra- my travail and my sorrow. I mean, you know, the, the Scripture says in the Psalm, many are the afflictions of a righteous man or woman, but out of them all the Lord God shall deliver him. Or the Lord God shall deliver her in this situation. And so when Eli heard her testimony, Eli becomes prophetic. The Spirit of God rises up on the inside of Eli. And he speaks to Hannah, who just prayed the most heartfelt prayer that was not heard by any ear. No listening ear within, within listening uh, distance heard an audible voice out of her vocal cords. But a God who sits in heaven heard every word. A God who looks on the inside of her soul saw every word and heard every word that was echoing in the recesses of her heart. And so he's, the Spirit of God prompts Eli to speak a prophetic word over her. And he says this, go. Go in peace, and the God of Israel will grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And notice what she said, Lord, I'm going to tell you, thank God for a prophetic word. He may have been a a pathetic priest, but he had a prophetic word. And he spoke a prophetic word. I'll tell you what, you never know who God will use to bless you. I tell you, did y'all hear that? That's a good word. That's not in the notes. You never know who God will use to bless you. And he spoke a prophetic word to the pathetic priest. And it says here that let thine handmaid find grace in your sight. And the woman went away and she did eat. And her countenance was no more sad. Look at this, 19th verse. So they rose up in the morning early and they worshiped before the Lord. Can I just, just make this real and just be real? I don't have to have this real altogether put together sermon. I'm telling you these scriptures speak for themselves. If these scriptures can, can, can console and strengthen my heart, then, ma'am, they can strengthen your heart as well. Look at this. So she went home to Ramah with Elkanah, and the Bible says that they pulled out the old spice. <laughs> went to their own tent. Come on, somebody. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And then it came to pass when the time was come about after San- Hannah had conceived that she bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. Now, I could stop right there, and we could say, man, I had church just on that verse right there, that a barren woman, Psalm 113, a barren woman rejoiced because God gave her seed. What a powerful verse of Scripture. She named him Samuel because she said, I've asked him of the Lord. Now, this is where this gets real interesting. And we got to follow it because it's going to reveal to us in the next few verses of Scripture of how Hannah becomes the model mother. Notice this very quickly. And so the man Elkanah and all his house, year to year, they went up to church. Now, I want to say something about just going to church once a year, but I'll move on today. Hannah went not up, for she said to her husband, I'm not going up until the child be weaned. You know, children in those days could be weaned as late as five years of age, but most likely around three years of age that the child was weaned. 
And so he's around three years old. She said, I'm not going to go up, and I'm going to wait. And she said, because when I do, I'm going to bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, then you do what seemeth to thee good. He trusted the heart of Hannah. And so he said, tarry until you have weaned him, so that only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. Now notice these 24th, and let's go forward with this. There's five more verses, six more verses we're going to read in this context. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her. How many know that would be the hardest journey of her life? That would be the hardest journey for this child that she prayed for, that she was ridiculed because of the absence of for all those years. And when God answered her prayer, and now she's raised this little boy Samuel at her nursing breast for these last three years, and she's going to take him from her home unto the tabernacle in Shiloh, and she's going to leave him there before the Lord. How many know that's a long journey? It may have been just a few miles. How many know that was the longest journey of her life, right? to honor the commitment that she made. Let's go a little bit farther. And I know there's some of you ladies saying, I can't, I can't understand that. I, I, I just can't, I, I can't see that. I'm telling you, you just have to keep it in its context. God had a very special purpose behind it that I'll close with in just a moment of this particular story. And so she had, when she had weaned him, she brought him. And notice what she brought with him. She brought three bullocks for a sin offering or an animal sacrifice. She brought an ephah of flour for a grain offering and a bottle of wine for a drink offering. But she brought Samuel for a living offering, a living sacrifice that she brought before God. And so they slew the bullock, and they brought the child to Eli. And Eli hadn't seen Hannah in probably four years. And he said, oh my, she says, oh, my Lord, as my soul liveth, as thy soul liveth, Lord, I'm the woman that stood by thee right here. I'm sure that she pointed right where she was standing. And she said, don't you remember that day when I was right here pouring my complaint out to God and I had uttered, I moved my mouth, but I had no words, but God heard my prayer. Do you not remember this? She said, for this very child I prayed, and the Lord gave me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Who that he be, it would probably be even Samuel, who'd learned to worship God while there at the tabernacle in Shiloh. That's a powerful verse of Scripture. But let's read the next verse. Because there's where the mystery starts to unfold. Time won't allow us to read all of chapter 2. We won't even attempt it, but one verse. Hannah prays. And Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord, and mine horn is exalted in the Lord, and my mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Pastor Brown, why would you choose Hannah to be your model mother when we don't have much record of how she raised her child and the things that she did and her good works and the things that she did in her community? Why would you choose her as a model mother? The reason why, say, is it because she loved her son Samuel? Yes, partially because she loved her Samuel, but that's not why she's chosen. She's chosen as the model mother because, not just because she loved Samuel, but because she loved God more. That's a word, lady, let me tell you today. Thank God for the children that God gave you. Thank God for the, the offspring that he gave you. But I'm telling you, the greatest love in your heart is not for your husband. 
Oh, now it's getting real quiet in here, but God, I felt you strengthen me when everybody went quiet. I'm going to preach it anyhow because Jesus said, if you love father or mother or children more than me, you're not worthy of me. And so Hannah is our model mother because, yes, she loved that child with all of her heart, but she loved God more. She loved God more. She loved God with the most sincere, earnest, sacrificial love that she could give the child that he answered her prayer for and lend him to the Lord all the days of his life. If you were to read that passage of Scripture, you know what makes it so powerful? The Bible says that Hannah would then go back to the tabernacle year by year and she'd bring a little coat and she would greet little Samuel as he's growing four years old and five years old and she'd bring him a little coat and the Bible says he's learning to worship God and the scripture says that because of the faithfulness of Samuel and because Eli's sons begin to go and do their pagan thing the Bible says God begins to speak to Samuel from an early age and so Eli once again speaks a prophetic word over Hannah and God opens her womb and he gives her three more sons sons and two more daughters because of the sacrifice that she made. And I want to honor Hannah today. She's a model mother because she loved God with all of her heart, all of her soul, and all of her strength. And a little child named Samuel was marked by God. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 3, at a time when the open vision and the prophetic word was rare, the Spirit of God and the Word of God came to Samuel until all of Israel, now think about that, all of Israel, all of Israel knew that Samuel was a prophet from the northernmost tribe to the southernmost tribe. Samuel couldn't walk into a village, but all the village would tremble. And Samuel's faith was shaped partially while he was at the tabernacle in Shiloh, but Samuel's faith was shaped when he nursed at the breast of his mother Hannah, the model mother who loved him with all of her heart, but she loved God more. Ma'am, I come along to challenge you today. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul and with all your spirit and with all your flesh. And I'm telling you, you'll be that model mother that we can emulate and we can look to and say, what a faith that you now possess. Isn't that a powerful scripture? I wept like a child in here this past week when I read these passages of Scripture because I was so moved. And I closed today. You said, Pastor Brown, I feel like it's too late for me. I can't be the model mother. I hadn't been the model mother. Well, I'm going to close by telling you a little story about the makeup mom. I'm not going to read the passage today. It's going to take us too long, so let me just paraphrase it. Where does she come in? Well, the Bible tells us it's recorded in two gospel writers. It's recorded first by Matthew chapter number 15 and Mark chapter number 7. The Bible tells us Jesus had gone to the northernmost coast of Israel to get away from the crowds. He needed to rest. He just needed to, the crowds was pressing into him, pressing in ministry. The ministry that he was, uh, was involved in was so overwhelming, he couldn't get rest. People just come and knocking on his door, uh, catching him out in the field, whatever. And finally, he got alone for a little while inside a house. The Bible tells us there was a woman by the, the Bible doesn't even give her a name, just tells us about where she came from. So he's in the northernmost parts of of Israel. This woman, the Bible says, is a Syrophoenician. That means that she's a Syrian of that area of Phoenicia. And that would be modern day Lebanon. And here's what it says. She was a Canaanite. Those are strong words. The word Canaanite 
evokes images of idolatry and paganism. But listen to this. The Bible says in Mark's gospel that she had heard about Jesus. I'll tell you what, she had heard about Jesus. That may be why some of you ladies are here today. You may have come in today not because you were a model mother like Hannah, but I'm telling you, you can still be a makeup mom. She had heard about Jesus, and what had she heard about Jesus? Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter, tells us that the fame of him had gone all the way up into the region of Syria, all the way up. And you know what they heard about Jesus? That he healed the sick. Are you all with me out there? He healed the sick. He performed miracles. Listen to this. And he casts out devils. And here's what the Bible says. Her daughter was grievously tormented by a devil. Grievously tormented by a devil. Let me tell you, it's difficult enough raising children. Most likely as a single mother coming from a pagan background. And if she's of the region, the Canaanite region, did you know Canaanite cult worship would invoke sexual practices to try to elicit the sexual response of pagan deities to create a sexual union in the sky, Baal and Ashtoreth to reign on the fertility of the land, to create fertility in the land. And she perhaps, most likely there's not a husband. And so, but she heard about Jesus there was something in her heart that she was not satisfied with the plight of her daughter. She knew that it was not just a medical condition. She knew it was something greater. There was not any medicine. There wasn't any psychologist that she could take her child to and find relief. But she had heard about this man called Jesus who was healing the sick, opening blind eyes, stilling the storm, and casting out devils. And so she pushed past her past, and she made her way to the house where she heard that he was. And she was undaunted in her faith, and she cried out after him. But notice this, ma'am, if you read this passage on your own. He answered her, not a word. Wait a minute. Jesus is full of compassion. And yet here's a woman in a great plight of affliction through their daughter being grievously tormented by a devil. And Jesus would not even look her way. And she grew frustrated like you would as well. The story could have been this way. Jesus would not answer her a word, and she turned, and she went back to her gods. But how many of you know the Syrophoenician woman's faith is captured in Scripture because she would not even allow the silence of the Messiah to daunt her from receiving something from God. And so then, and I feel faith in here today. I want to raise up a generation of faith-filled moms I do. I want to raise up a generation of faith-filled moms that have the power of God in their life, and they know how to trust God. And so you know what she did? She did like so many. She, when Jesus wouldn't answer a word, she made an appointment with JoJo and with Pastor Brown and Shane. And they came. she came to the preachers. She came to Peter, James, and John. And they said, we can't do nothing. And so finally, they left her outside. They went inside and said, Lord, you're going to have to do something because she is not leaving. You sent her home, and, but she's not leaving. She's still here. She's bothering us. We're trying to get our ministry duties done. We're trying to rest as well, and we're getting no rest because this woman won't shut up. She says she won't, she's got to have another visit with you. And so, Lord, whether you want her to come in the house or not, we're going to bring her in the house. 
And so this time they brought her in the house. Previously, she had asked the Lord to heal her child by speaking what little reference to the Bible she probably had ever heard. Thou son of David, have mercy upon my child. But Jesus knew that that wasn't a sincere petition. And he would not respond to her. But this time, when she was brought into the presence of God, she just fell down at, her, at his feet on her face. And the Bible says she just worshipped him. She just worshipped him. And look at her petition. She said, Lord, would you help me? Would you just help me? Ma'am, I want you to know today, sometimes you've got to strip away that religious hypocrisy hypocrisy and say you know what God you already know what's going on on the inside of me and you know God I just need your help today and the Bible says that in 26th verse Jesus said these words if I'm understanding it right he said this what a challenge he said it's not right Jesus himself had said I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and the children of the seed of Abraham were heirs according to covenant promises. And in this passage, he says, it's not right that I would take that which belongs to the children and give it to hard words in King James English to a dog. That would turn anybody. I'm telling you, if you heard that today, Jesus would be on Fox News and CNN as being an insensitive rabbi who speaks to a poor, distraught woman and calls her a dog. But Jesus was seeking to elicit something inside of her that he'll do the very same to you, ma'am. And you've got to hear this today. You know what he would do? He would seek to speak to faith. Faith in your heart. Let me say this to you men or women today. The only thing that moves God is not the plight or condition that you're in. The only thing that moves God is faith in the heart of a believer. Faith moves God. And so Jesus said to her, it's not right, Lord. He said, it's not right that I would take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs, but look at the 27th verse. She said, but truth, Lord, you're right. I'm a Syrophoenician. I'm a Canaanite, but you know what? But truth, Lord, I found out one thing. I learned about God, what I, what I heard about all the way in the land that I came out of, and that your God is merciful. And she said, truth, Lord, so the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And watch this in the 28th verse. And why is this so important? I'm going to show you in just a moment of time. And Jesus, sees those words right there? There's four words on the second line here of the 28th verse that are only captured one other time. In three, three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus only uh, commended one other person in all the word of God and said, great is thy faith. So this Syrophoenician woman of Canaanite heritage with a child that's grievously tormented by a devil came to Jesus, sought for a miracle, spoke eloquent words, eloquent words to no avail, but when she fell down and said, God, I need you to do something in my life, I trust that you're the God of all mercy and you're the God of all grace. And when Jesus saw the sincerity of her heart and the faith within her heart, he said, woman, great is your faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And notice the end of that verse and her daughter you think your teenage daughter can't be reached ma'am I'm telling you she can be reached you're an aged saint of God and you think your children are so far gone they can't be reached I came along to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell they can be reached by the power of God why is she the makeup mom today? She's not a model mother like Hannah. How is she a makeup mom? Because in one moment of time she made up with God by petitioning the mercy and the grace of God.
And ma'am, you can do the same today. God can bless you and your house and your household from this day forward. Just that quickly, the powers of darkness can be driven out and the power of his light can set on you, your house, your children, and your children's children. Don't give up. Don't come in here today and say, well, I hadn't been the model mother, and so you, I, you can't emulate. No, I'm telling you, God is a gracious and merciful God. What God's looking for is faith. He's looking for faith today. So, Aaron, I'm going to ask you to join me on the platform, and we're going to close. I thank God for every precious lady in this room today. Don't you guys? Come on, somebody. Amen. Thank God for them today. Ma'am, let me say this to you. The Word of God is filled with story and account and story and account and truth and teaching that speaks to your heart, your life, to who you are as a single woman, to who you are as a mother, to who you are as a grandmother. God speaks the Word as a wife. Come on, He does. And I'm telling you, God's desire for you is to readily receive the Word of God and believe the Word. And trust him for great things in your family. Ma'am, I'm telling you, you can have faith in God today. Did you know that? If we close with this message today, let's make our comparison in closing. I don't know what time. I know it's got to be right around the noon hour, but I haven't preached that long. I've condensed some things. But let's put this together. And This happens sometimes on special days. We get distracted. Distracted. Got dinner got family coming in that's all good that's all good I don't care where you're going that's all good it's not as good as what this is I'm telling you I don't care what restaurant you go to today it's not as good as the word of God today the word of God will put faith in your heart that in the crisis moments in your life you can believe God we had two women one a woman of character and integrity but a gaping void in her life that was met by the promises and the power of God and a woman that came from questionable background, questionable past, though, learned a little bit about God enough that if she petitioned his mercy and his grace, that he would hear her despite what she had done in the past. Both stand out to me today as promises to all the ladies under the sound of my voice. God is merciful and he's gracious. God wants to use you as a catalyst for your family. You can be a witness you can raise up your children. If you've got babies and children at home, I'm telling you, they can learn about God sitting on your knee. You've got children, and, and your womb was closed, but you've got other children from, come on, that you're a mother in the house of God. God can still use you to speak life into those babies and into those children. So take this very seriously. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. The model mother, say it with me, the model mother and the makeup mom. Doesn't that just resound today for just a moment? The model mother, Hannah, the makeup mom, the Syrophoenician woman, both received a miracle from God. Both petitioned God in faith, and they saw God do something powerfully in their lives. I'm going to give a two-fold altar call today, and I'm going to check what time it is. But ladies, I'm telling you, you can't leave. Today is 12 o'clock. Five minutes after 12, six minutes after, somewhere in there. But I just feel led. Lady, I want you to be honest here today. And you say, Pastor Brown, I just need a miracle in my life today. A miracle. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, 
I just need God to do something powerful in my life. I want you to quickly slip your hand up. I want to see who that might be. Some ladies that are going up to this enhance.